Okay. Um, hi, I'm Jennifer. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, uh, this room was not as crowded when this meeting started, and um, I feel like my heart rate has just doubled. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm really grateful that Rebecca asked me to do this. Um, this is my first time telling my story, so I'm a little nervous, um, but also I'm very excited. Um, I did have these this moment um, in the few days after uh, Rebecca asked me to do this. Um, my first thought was, like, no one will ever cared to hear my story. It's so boring. Who the hell would want to listen to that? And then within like a matter of minutes was also like, oh, this is recorded. It's a podcast. Maybe I'll get a book deal. Right. And like, <laughs> my like pendulum swings like really far. Um, and the, I think like the, the kind of neat thing about this uh, program and it's set in the rooms all the time. And I didn't, I didn't really understand it when I first started coming to meetings is um, uh, learning how to be the right size. Um, and so while I can make myself really small and then also really big within a matter of minutes, one of the neat things that's happened is it's almost like a magnet has been put in the center of my pendulum and I get pulled to the center a little bit faster um, than I ever was before. So uh, that's really cool. And, um, you know, I get, to, I get to recognize that it happens um, when it does happen. So... Um, I'm from Texas. Uh, I was born in Austin, but I grew up in Kerrville. I lived there till I was 13. I think many people might be familiar with Kerrville in this room if you have spent time in recovery in Texas. Um, and so um, that is part of my story. Both of my parents were sober. I went to my first AA meeting when I was three days old because my mom said she really needed a meeting. And um, I grew up like pouring coffee for old timers at a clubhouse. Um, I knew the serenity prayer before I knew what it meant. Uh, the Lord's Prayer has some really weird meanings for me because um, I didn't under, like, I, I thought God was maybe arting in heaven, like it was a verb. I didn't kind of understand that it meant like to be in heaven. Um, and so every time it's said in um, meetings now, I still have these kind of weird images that go through my head. Um, but um, I think like it's common for most AA uh, people and members, like I never really felt like I fit in. I don't have a memory of belonging. Um, I uh, remember the first time that I told a, a fib to fit, fit like I felt in or to feel like people would like me. Um, I was in the third grade, and there was a girl named Cynthia Martinez, and she had this really lovely, dark, long hair and thick braid, and my parents had just cut my hair off into a bowl cut. Um, and, um, she was talking about her mom braiding her hair and I was like Cynthia do you remember when my hair was as long as your hair and she turned and she looked at me and she said Jennifer your hair was never as long as my hair and she shut me down and um, but like I that's the kind of stuff that I would do all the time is I um, would distort reality maybe to make myself seem a little better than I was or like I fit in a little better than I did because I just never thought that I did um when I was 13 I moved to Austin I moved in with my dad um and his family because I was engaging already in some pretty dangerous behavior um I had um started talking to strangers on the internet um and had started meeting them in person um and ultimately started dating uh someone that was 18 with a criminal record. Um, 
and lied to my parents about it, of course, because why would a 13-year-old tell their parents they're dating an 18-year-old with a criminal record? Any 13-year-old knows not to do that. And um, <laughs> so um, one of my friends told on me, and uh, that was probably one of the first things that uh, has happened that saved my life. Um, so I moved to Austin, moved in with my dad. Um, the first time I used uh, or smoked pot, I was 15. Um, it was actually my 15th birthday. And I... I don't know if I got high. I don't, you know, those, like, people always say, like, you never get high the first time you smoke. Um, I don't know if I did. I don't know if I told people that I did because I thought I did or what. what whatever happened, I knew that I liked it. Um, and the next week, I went halvesies on an ounce of the driest, seediest <laughs> ounce of swag um, that I have I've still, to this day, ever seen. Uh, and that was, like... That was it. Um, within six months of smoking pot for the first time, I did almost every drug that I've done today. Um, anytime anything, anybody had anything new, I would do it. Um, it could be like random bags of pills. Uh, it could be Coke. It could be hallucinogens. Um, someone once brought a bottle of, uh, it was like, like a liter bottle of, I don't know, some sort of alcoholic beverage. Um, she told me it was like hooch. I think it was just like a bunch of different like malt liquor poured into a Pepsi <laughs> bottle. I don't know. But I drank it. Because um, like, why, why not? And I don't even know who she got it from. Uh, so, but I, uh, I didn't really start drinking heavily until a few years later, um, 16 or 17, I think. Um, but I would black out every time I drank. Um, and that was from the beginning. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. I also thought that it was normal. I thought that's what I thought that's how everybody drank. Um, because also, I think the people, I think people who drink in high school tend to drink alcoholically, and that's something just that I noticed in the people I was with. Um, I drank like that until college or into college. Um, by 21, I started getting violent. Uh, when I would black out. Um, I, and I would like, I wore it as like a badge of honor too. I, um, I would be like, I'll never hit a woman, which is true. I never did hit women. I would hit men and I would hit really big men. Um, and um, they would spend time pulling me off of them um, because I was so angry. Um, and I lost a ton of friends because of it. Um, I had like, I thought I, they had nicknames for me and had moved to Washington state and uh, so they called me Texas Don't Hurt Me, and I was like, yeah, I'm so cool. It's like actually even my Spotify name. If you want to find me on Spotify, you have to search Texas Don't Hurt Me. Because um, I was. I was like really proud of it. You know, I was like, I'm a tough, angry woman. Like, fuck you. And, uh, and sometimes I'm still like that. Um, but, uh, but uh, and, and it was funny for a while, and then it wasn't. Um, and then I started hitting people that I really cared about. Um, I... Uh, and that was scary. Um, I would, uh, had, you know, kicked down doors, my roommates, when they wouldn't do what I wanted. Um, and I couldn't, but I couldn't talk to people. If you did something I didn't like, I couldn't tell you, I don't like it when you do this thing, please don't do that, you know. Um, it was, I'm not going to say anything about it until I black out and then I'm going to yell at you or I'm going to hit you or whatever it may be. Um, and... Uh, by 23, um, I could hardly get out of my bed um, unless it was to go drink. Um, I would wear the same clothes for days on end. Um, and I lived in a really cold place I lived in Washington State where it's like rainy and cold for nine months out of the year. And so 
Um, oftentimes what I would do is I would actually just like leave on my PJs that I had been wearing for three days and hadn't showered in. And then I would like put pants on over that and then like my <laughs> coat and then I would go drink. And, uh, and that's where I lived. And I had a, I had a guy, I, that was my partner. We lived together for like five years and he was like, okay with this, like <coughs> blob living in his bed. Um, and, uh, <laughs> And but it was also like embarrassing because it was like all the same shade of gray. Like my sweatpants matched my pea coat, which I still wear. Um, and uh, so I would just be like this one shade of gray, like walking through the gray, you know, sky um, to go drink into an oblivion. And um, I was I was miserable. I was really unhappy, and I wanted something to be different. So I went on antidepressants. I went to Europe for three months and was like, this will fix it. I won't drink in Europe. That is not true. <laughs> I drank a lot in Europe. And then um, I uh, decided to go to graduate school. I thought maybe if I got back to school, things would be better. So I applied to graduate school. I uh, went to Costa Rica or Central America generally for three months. Also, you still drink in Costa Rica. You still drink in Nicaragua. It never changed. Um, and... Um, and so then I went to graduate school. I moved to New Orleans, which is a great place to also not drink. Um, and, um, so, and I thought there, I was like, graduate school, this will be it. I will stop drinking now that I am here. Um, and then I was still drinking, and my, uh, my partner who had moved from Washington with me was still drinking, and I was like, he's the problem. I will break up with him, and then I will stop drinking. And that also did not work, surprisingly. Um, but... Uh, in my second year of law school, I really actually, well, part of it is that I started dating someone who didn't drink, and I didn't want to drink, and I thought maybe if I dated someone who didn't drink that I could also not drink. And um, I think it kind of worked. I worked six days a week, um, 10 to 12, and sometimes 14 hours a day. Um, I still didn't talk to anybody. I still didn't want to be around anybody. And at the end of the first semester of my second year, I went on a three-day bender. Um, and then the next semester I doubled down and I stopped drinking again and I worked the same amount. And then when that semester ended, um, I went on a summer long vendor where I was out until 11 in the morning when I would say that I was just going to go out for the night and I couldn't figure out why. I would just have one glass of wine and then it would be 11 o'clock in the morning and I was smoking cigarettes waiting to go swimming at a pool bar. Like I didn't understand why that kept happening and I couldn't make it stop. Um, so I broke up with that boyfriend because clearly he wasn't the answer. And, um, and then I started dating a new boyfriend who was a cop and who drank as much as I did. And I started getting violent again because I hadn't been violent for a while. Um, and someone in that time told me um, about, uh, he said it was Scottish. I don't fucking know. I didn't look it up. But um, it, he says it's the, the Scottish have this thing they call the fear. And it's the feeling that you have when you wake up the morning after blacking out and um, you're paralyzed. And, uh, and the fear was getting really bad. Um, I would, uh, I just couldn't think. Um, and I was in, you know, I was in the last year of law school. Um, I was coming up on exams. I had papers I had to write, and I could not think. And um, I started having really bad anxiety attacks, and I'd never really experienced anxiety like that. Um, I would call my dad almost every day 
for a while, and he would have to talk me down out of it. And my roommate, who also, who was one of my drinking partners, would have them, and then I would I would repeat to her what he told to me, and then and then and it was like this like kind of back and forth as we talked each other out of the fear and like held each other's hands walking into school. I mean, we're like fucking 27, 28, like supposed to be grown ass adults, and like cannot individually walk into this school that we've been at for nearly three years. And um, I came home over that Christmas break and I didn't want to go back. Um, And my parents said that I didn't have to leave, that I could take a semester off, I could do whatever I needed. I didn't tell them that I, I don't, at least as far as I remember, I didn't tell them I was drinking the way that I was drinking. I didn't ever tell anybody that I was drinking the way that I was drinking. So I didn't think that it was a problem. Um, I knew alcoholics. I had been raised around alcoholics. Clearly, I was not one um, because those people are fucking crazy. And um, so uh, I I left. I went back, and I cried the entire eight-hour drive back to New Orleans. Um, And two of my old – or one of my, like, one of my dearest friends from Olympia was in New Orleans with his new, like – his new girlfriend from Germany and – um, and I just spent a week getting really fucked up with them. Uh, and then they left and I had to go back to school and, um, I kept drinking. I broke up with the cop, which was a really smart thing. Like, I don't recommend dating them. I'm sorry if there are cops in this room. Um, it was not, it was not my rightest decision, but, um, I, I decided that I just, I, I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to drink anymore. And so I started dating someone else that was sober. I, I have patterns of behavior. There are, like, clearly, like, look for other people to make me something other than I am. And, um, and I, I did. I went dry for about a year. Um, I didn't drink for three months, and then I would allow myself to go have, like, one drink. And um, that, was, that was the most painful thing I've ever been through, and I've talked about it a lot in this room. Um, I would make plans to meet a girlfriend and I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna have one glass of wine. And then for days I would just like think about like, which glass of wine am I gonna get? Where are we gonna go? Who serves the biggest glass of wine? You know, <laughs> it's gonna taste so good. And then I would drink it and then I'd be like, I have to go home right now. And I would like get in my car and like, I can't believe you want another drink, you know? And like, you're supposed to be better than this. And then for days would kind of think about how much I wanted more to drink. And it went like that for a year. Um, and, um, and then I graduated, I finished, I was doing a dual law and master's degree. So I finished, I was done, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a job. I couldn't hold down a job. I never had a job for longer than nine months. Um, and uh, so I was like, I'm just gonna get a PhD. I'm just gonna keep going, to, I'm just gonna keep going to school forever. Like one day I'll be ready to leave, that's not it. Um, and part of that was that I needed to write uh, I needed to write papers. I needed to work on getting published, and I couldn't. I couldn't put words on paper. Um, I was so scared um, that uh, somebody might read what I was writing that I couldn't write. Um, and um, and I remember talking to that boyfriend at the time that I wanted to go get a PhD, and he said that if I left New Orleans, uh, he wasn't going with me and that he didn't do long-distance relationships. And my first thought was, like, awesome, I can't wait to drink again. And, um, and then I was like, maybe that's not good. Um, but that was really scary the, that to me, that I could potentially be going off to start another 
pattern of the same thing again, that I would move to a new city that I wasn't going to drink in. And I could see it. I did what we talk about in here where I played the tape out, where it was like, what's going to happen? I'll go to graduate school. I'll meet my cohort. I'll out drink all of them. And none of them will be my friends anymore, which is essentially what had happened in New Orleans. And, um, and that didn't look good. And I didn't want that either. But I also couldn't talk to anybody about the amount of pain that I was in from, uh, because my brain, my brain hated me. My brain told me that um, I was useless, I was worthless, no one would ever want to read what I would write. I had nothing worthy of saying. Nobody cared about me. Nobody cared what I did. Um, and I started having these impulses of wanting to die. So I would um, be driving in my car and I would think, I'll just go off the edge of this bridge right now. Or like, maybe I'll just put my car into park on this highway. If I just like throw it into park, what happens? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> maybe something interesting and I won't be here anymore. And, um, and uh, in July, this would have been, I guess, May and June of 2016, <clears throat> I would basically just sit in my apartment and cry. Um, I would sit at my desk and I would try to read things and I would try to write things and then I would just cry. Um, and um, that month, my sister was uh, graduating from undergrad, which was really exciting. And I was flying out um, to be with my family for that weekend. And um, God, I just have this memory of... Um, trying to put myself together. I was like, okay, if I wear the blue sweater with the red skirt and I wear this white shirt, then I will look okay. And I was like, I'll pull my hair back and I'll wear my glasses and I have my briefcase and I'll look like a goddamn academic. <laughs> and like, I will, everyone will think that I'm fine. And, um, and I was sitting on the plane uh, out to San Francisco and um, there was, I just had tears streaming down my face. I couldn't, I couldn't even read my book. And... Um, and I was like, I need to tell my dad what's happening. I need to talk to him about what's going on. I need to tell him that I want to kill myself. And, uh, and I was like, but not this weekend. This is, this is my sister's weekend. I can't tell him now. Um, so it didn't really matter how much pain I was in. I don't think I was ever going to tell anybody. Um, I don't think I could. I didn't think I could do it. Um, and then uh, that weekend, um, that weekend, my brother shot himself here in Kerrville. Um, and I was in, I was in Palo Alto for my sister's graduation. Um, the commencement had started, and um, I got a phone call from my mom that um, he was alive, but he was being hellevacked to San Antonio. And we weren't, we didn't know what was going to happen, and so um, that was the second thing that saved my life. Um, so. Um, I really needed my dad to come home with me to be here while I dealt with this. And um, I told him no, that I didn't, um, because I didn't want to interrupt my sister's weekend and my family's time together. Um, and I'm so thankful that he kind of, um, that he said he wanted to and that he kind of insisted that he did. And um, so he just stayed up with me on the plane ride home. And um, I was so, I was so freaked out and so broken that um, I couldn't keep it a secret anymore what was happening. And, and the words just started flowing out of me. I told him everything. I started, and, and it happened over the course of the week where he would drive me back and forth from San Antonio to visit my brother in the ICU. Um, 
where I sat in the car rides and I just started saying all this stuff, you know, I'm violent, you know, I, I'm angry, I want to die, you know, I hate my life. And um, one day he decided while I, or suggested while I was here that maybe um, I could go meet some of my friends just to go be out with people because I know people that live here and I told him, um, I'm scared too because they all drink and I'm scared that if I start drinking I won't be able to stop. Then I told him how hard it was for me to not take a second drink after I'd had a first and he said I think you might be an alcoholic um, and he has 33 years of sobriety and like maybe he might know a thing or two about that and um, I, I kind of knew that I was or I knew that I at least had a problem with it um, and, but I wasn't really quite ready to face up, up to it yet. Um, and a month later, I uh, packed up the apartment in New Orleans and I moved into my grandma's house here in Austin. Um, I left the sober boyfriend behind. He was a fine person, but I didn't need to be dating him anymore. Um, and, um, and so my dad suggested that I come to meetings. And so I looked up a lot of meeting times. Um, and didn't come to them. And um, I'd be like, that one's interesting. It was like, you know what, though, my grandma needs to go to dinner tonight. I'll take her to dinner tonight. And like, and that's, you know, I would, I kept doing that for a couple of weeks. And, um, and then he, uh, he actually brought me to a meeting. He brought me to my first meeting, my dad. Um, and he brought me here to this room, which is where he got sober um, over 30 years ago, which is pretty neat that this place is, has such kind of a legacy of recovery in Austin and that I get to be the second generation bolded um, <laughs> <laughs> person. person. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I started working with uh, one sponsor um, and, and during that time I, I met a woman who uh, invited me out to have a piece of pizza and um, while we were sitting on a curb outside of Home Slice, she said, she just looked at me and she said, you know, if you keep doing this, one day you won't hate yourself. And um, I didn't know that people knew I hated myself. I kind of thought that I kept that a really good secret. And, um, and, uh, and I was just floored. And that woman's my sponsor now. And um, I'm so grateful that I get to work with her. And so she took me through the steps. I had started going for, through the first three, but she took me back through them. And, uh, and it's been a lot of work, uh, but it's also been really great. I... Um, I, uh, I totally knew that my life was unmanageable. Um, I wanted to kill myself, couldn't talk to anybody, had no intimate relationships, couldn't work, couldn't hold down a job, um, and was constantly making bizarre decisions like, let's move in with this dude we met two months ago, or like, maybe we should just elope, or like, <laughs> if I go to Costa Rica, I won't drink. You know, like, these things didn't make any sense. Um, I struggled a lot with whether or not I was powerless over alcohol. Um, I had been dry for a while at the t by the time I came in here, pretty dry. And, um, and um, I thought that meant that I had power over alcohol, maybe, maybe a little bit. Um, and I also thought that if people heard my story that y'all would think that I wasn't an alcoholic. And like, that was probably more important than what I thought, uh, because clearly y'all are the experts. Um, but um, the way I kind of got around that for myself was, well, one, you know, everybody in every meeting I went to was like, it's, it's what you decide. You get to decide if you're an alcoholic. That's a you decision. Um, the second thing for me was that um, 
I couldn't live life drinking. I couldn't live that life anymore. I, but I also couldn't live life sober. Um, and I kept coming to meetings and, um, and the more that I came to meetings and the more that I did what people told me to do, my life got lighter. Like the load that I was carrying got physically lighter. I started laughing again. Even, I mean, even while dealing with the chaos of, oh, I guess my brother's alive. He survived. <laughs> um, he, and it, I mean, it's totally fucking crazy. He lives in a nursing home. He's ambulatory. He has short-term memory. Things that shouldn't happen when you shoot yourself in the head. It's just kind of crazy. But in dealing with the chaos of that, I could still find lightness in life in the first few months that I moved back to Austin. And that was something that I hadn't experienced in, I can't, I, like, I can't remember when. And so I decided that regardless of if y'all thought I was an alcoholic, this program was doing things for me that I didn't know were possible and that that was enough for me to say that I was an alcoholic, that it was working for me. Um, and then uh, uh, the power greater than myself. Like I, like so many people, I have huge problems with God. Um, and I don't really have to, I don't think, get into my kind of discussion of what, I, what my higher power is. Um, too much except for to say that um, it's not a sentient being. It's just really this thing that, like, there are powers that exist greater than myself, that um, not only, like, you know, all of the intricacies of nature, right, but even just another person's will is a power greater than my own. I cannot change another person's will. I don't have power over that. Um, And so I kind of... I kind of come from a place of like everything outside of me is chaos and all I can do is control my reaction to it. Um, and that's what, and that's what works for me. Um, and, um, when it came to the third step of making a decision to turn my will and my life over, I was like, sure, why the fuck not? You know, I don't, um, I don't have a better idea. It seems to be working for everyone else. Um, I'm just going to do it. Um, and I, did not understand what that meant at all. Um, I, I, that, I, that was definitely kind of a fake it till you make it moment for me um, because I just, I, how can you know what it is to turn your will over until you actually start doing it? Um, and so it was during kind of my first, during my fourth step that I started, um, like started kind of sitting into the first three steps and like what those actually meant and how that could manifest in my life. Um, so as I'm like writing all these, you know, resentments out and like what's my part, it was like really strange that I had these like series of repeating behaviors um, in almost every one of my relationships. And a lot of them were like, I did not set boundaries with you. Um, I did not... Uh, stay myself with you. I was not able to um, be um, intimate and vulnerable with you. And because of all of these things, we have this toxic relationship that, um, and I hate you now, been forever. Um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and so while I was looking at this, um, I also started to like have a crush on somebody for the first time. And I was like, ooh. Like sober, I got a crush on somebody. Like, are we gonna move in with them in three months? I don't know. Like, let's see, right? And um, 
<laughs> and so I started looking again at the second second step, and it says could restore us to sanity. And um, I suddenly realized that I had never been sane. Um, and that I wasn't sure that I could be restored to sanity if it had never been stocked in my brain in the first place. And, um, and that, kind of, that kind of fucked me up for a while. Um, but um, so I asked myself, can I ever be sane? And I decided that that was up to me. And that is the importance for me of, um, of my third step. That's really when I start to turn my will over, is when I decide I want to be sane, then I can turn my will over. Um, so, um, and, that, and that's really scary for me, because I know what the other side of insanity looks like. It's what I've lived in for uh, 30 years now. And um, I, don't know, I don't know what sanity looks like. I don't know what that manifests in. What if I don't get what I want when I behave sanely? Not that I ever got what I wanted when I acted insanely, but I knew how bad it was going to be when I didn't get what I want. Um, and so um, for me, taking the third step is, is deciding I'm not going to act in an insane way and I'm going to trust that whatever comes out the other end of it, I'm going to be okay even if I don't get what I want. And even if it doesn't end up the way I think it's supposed to be, I'm gonna be all right. Um, so that, that's been a huge, huge thing for me. And, I, and, I, and it's something that I practice still every day, every day. Um, Rebecca mentioned that I'm a lawyer. And one of the things that I really like to do is avoid things. I, especially the stuff that I'm scared of, like I hate men in suits, like they're fucking terrifying. And, um, and I don't like talking to them. Um, and I, that is like what I am paid to do is, is like, talk to men in suits. And so um, there are like times when I'm supposed to be sending an email to like one of them and I just, I will be like not sending it. You know, like I won't write it, I won't send it. I'm like, I gotta organize my papers. I'm like, what am I doing? And so I'm scared. I'm so scared that something terrible is gonna happen if I send a fucking email. It's an email, you know? Like, my life is not gonna end. So um, it's like every time I press the send button, it's, it's like that's a moment of me doing my first, second, and third step, right? I'm being unmanageable by fear, right? I can be restored to sanity. Okay, fine, I put my will. I turn it over right here with this scent. Um, um, and, and, and I'm in my ninth step now. I'm making amends to people. Um, and I feel like this understanding of the power of the first, second, and third step um, is, is getting stronger. Um, I was talking to a friend from the program a few weeks ago, and we were talking about those things on your fourth step that, like, sometimes you don't have an active part in. The stuff that, like, like I, I, my mom, my resentments against my mom are huge. Like, I waste, I actually don't speak to her. They're like, they're big. And, um, and you know, I'm gonna say valid. <laughs> I'm really, she's not. Um, our relationship hasn't been great, and um, and she's done some fucked up stuff. And um, and and in some of that, like I I was a kid, I didn't I didn't make her do anything. I didn't act in a way that I wasn't supposed to be acting. I was just a kid, 
And, um, and I was talking to this friend, and she said, well, you know, my sponsor says that our role in that is not what we did, but it's how we carry it with us and how we let it inform how we behave today. And so um, I've really been kind of thinking and working through that on this idea that, like, I don't have to live my myths, that I get to rewrite my myths. I have control over my myths. Um, the narrative that I've carried with me for, uh, for decades doesn't have to be my narrative anymore. Um, and really starting to let that go. Like, I have anger, but I am not an angry person. Um, I have sadness, and but I am not a sad person. Um, and I have done some crazy shit, but I am not a crazy person. Um, and and that's been really um, that's been really freeing for me. Um, I think my dad said it another way, and I didn't get it, but he at one point said, um, uh, "It's never too late to live a happy childhood or to have a happy childhood." Um, I was like the fuck are you talking about? Like, I can't go back, you know? But I think I get it now. I think I understand that um, I can just let that go, and it doesn't have to define how I act anymore. Um, so, But again, I think that goes back to taking this first, second, and third step every day that I start to feel like I have to live a narrative, that I have to be this person that's molded by the, like, you know, all of the crazy shit that has happened, um, I have to recognize that, like, that makes my life unmanageable and that um, I, I can be someone different, that I can be sane, be restored to sanity, and that to do that, I have to turn my will over and choose to act in a counter way. Um, so um, that's kind of what... Um, that's what the 12 steps have really looked like for me. Um, I do I do a daily, I do my daily maintenance, like my sponsor recommends to me. I, I do prayer and meditation and nightlies almost every day. Um, I go to three meetings a week. I meet with my sponsor. I meet with my sponsees. Um, sponsee, I have one. Don't lie. Uh, uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but I, uh, it doesn't mean that, like, I don't also still have so many things that I struggle with. I think um, in the beginning it can be so easy almost to be vulnerable because it's just, like, there's... Uh, there's nowhere else to go, right? And you, like, bottom, and you have... Like, you have to be open. You're like, I'm a fucking open wound. Like, please, like, clean me out. Um, and now, you know, after... Uh, you know, after over a year, I'm, I feel myself closing back up again. Um, I've noticed that I... St I have a real difficult problem being intimate with people. Um, I... I'm much more... Uh, comfortable with like hey like let's make jokes and be friends you know and and like I don't always feel like that I most of the time I don't feel like that um usually I just kind of want to be drinking tea with my dog and um she doesn't drink tea but <laughs> she's like sits near me sometimes Some, most well that's a lie too she's she's moody but um so but I've just really um part of it is that like I 
I, I have a hard time being silent with people, even people that I care about. I've started seeing someone that I adore, and, like, if we're if it's ever, like, quiet, I'm like, he's bored of me, he hates me, we can never be together, you know? And, like, but I, I found that there is real intimacy in the quiet, and, um, and that's uncomfortable. I don't want that. I mean, I, I think I do want that. The sane part of me wants that. The insane part of me doesn't think that that's okay. Um, but because of this program, I get to recognize that I know what those feelings are. I have people to talk to them about. I have my sponsor. I have um, other women I've met in this program, and I and I seek outside help. I talk to a therapist about it, and she works with me on all of these questions, which I super appreciate. And I still have a ton of fear. Like, I can send an email today, and like tomorrow, I have to talk myself into sending another fucking email, or like <laughs> making a phone call, or telling someone I don't know. I hate not knowing. It's re- it's also very uncomfortable. Um, people might think that you're stupid if you don't know everything. <laughs> so <laughs> that's like that's a whole other issue. Um, but but I am. I'm so grateful for this program. Um, I used to sit in this room and there would be people like on like if you come to the Sunday one o'clock and like it's a really great meeting I love it but like there'll be people in here who are like I'm so grateful for my sobriety and I would sit on that wall and I would mock them in my head like you're so fucking dumb you know like and I wanted to be sober like I that's I wanted to be that and like still would just mock them and now like it's the first thing on my gratitude list that I write every night. I'm going to do a gratitude list every night. And at the end of every day, I can truly say I am so grateful to be sober today uh, because I did whatever it was that I needed to do. Um, and when I didn't or when I started doing something that I knew I shouldn't be doing, I, I could recognize that. I could um, know that it wasn't the end of my world, that I wasn't a terrible person, that I wasn't worthless, useless, dumb. Um, and that uh, I was going to wake up the next morning and get to start all over again. And so um, that's, what's, that's, that's what sobriety has been like for me. Um, and that's what recovery has been like to me. And my heart has finally calmed down. It was going for like almost at least half of that. Um, but uh, thank you all so much for, uh, for letting me do this. I really appreciate it. And really, thank you, Rebecca, for asking me. Yay!